Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger. If you feel constantly stressed by the conflicting and alarming health information out there, you are not alone. Our media environment is practically designed to induce fear and anxiety. Well, my guest today, Tim Caulfield, is the perfect person to help us break free of that. He has serious credentials. He is a Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy and Research Director of the Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta. But while his credentials are serious, he's also one of the most entertaining and engaging people I know. He's here to help us stress less and relax more by ignoring the health hype noise. Listen, Tim Caulfield, it is amazing to have you here. I just love your work. I've long loved your work. And preparing for this interview, reading your new book, which we're going to talk about, I have decided that you have a superpower, if I may. (laughs) And that is that you are able to cut through all the noise and help us make sense of all this information and misinformation about health that we're just constantly bombarded with, but you're able to do it not only in a scientifically sound way, but in an entertaining and totally engaging way. And I really think this is a superpower because I don't know many people who have it. So bravo to you. You're you're way too kind. My, My actual superpower though, is to always stand in the wrong line, the line that's moving the slowest. So that's my actual superpower, <laughs> but you're way too kind. Thank you very much for that. That might be my superpower too, actually, or at least my superpower is getting super frustrated that I'm not in the fastest line. While I might not always be in the slowest one, if I'm not in the fastest one, I just like lose my mind. <laughs> uh, it's the human condition, I guess, which is, I guess, a lot about what you really dive into. Um, I, I want to just really... Your real good thing, your one real good thing is ignore the health hype noise. That is something that seems like nearly impossible, but I know you're going to give us really great strategies for doing that. But I I wanted to just start off here with a quote from your new book, which is called Relax. Um, And and there has, I have the, the Relax, a guide to everyday health decisions with more facts and less worry. Okay, so from the mo- here's the quote. From the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we drift off, drift off to sleep at night, we make dozens and dozens of decisions that are based to a lesser or greater extent on misinformation, unquote. And I'm adding uh, in reading this book that so much of this misinformation that we are bombarded with amplifies our fears, amplifies our anxieties, and essentially chip away at our well-being. So that's why you're here today, to help us not be so anxious and stressed about all this information. Um, So I guess I want to ask you first to tell us about the work you do and your overall mission, because it is related to this for sure. Uh, It is for sure. And and what I've really done over the past couple decades is I do interdisciplinary research on how science and health is represented in the public sphere. And I I actually came to that in a weird way because, you know, my really early 
academic career was focused on health and science policy kind of more formally, you know, how, how do we regulate stem cell research? You know, uh, how should we regulate the emerging genomic technologies? And uh, how, how, should, how should health systems be uh, regulated? And it really became obvious very early that a lot of his, the information is not great. You know, it's a lot of the evidence that's out there floating around in the ether isn't great. And I became completely obsessed with that. Uh, and that led me to the impact of pop culture, right, on, on not just how the general public thinks about health, and, and you can relate to this, but really how even professionals and scientists and, and, and public health systems think about what makes us healthy, about well-being. And, you know, that led me into, you know, the role of celebrities <laughs> and the role of social media. And so we do empirical work on that. And, um, you know, I guess my broad mission, funny, I've never really thought of this, is, <laughs> is exactly what you identified to help people kind of cut through the noise and, and look at those science-informed basics to make make our life a little bit easier and to make it a little bit easier to to walk down that that correct path and 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 also i think it's really important to kind of cut through that that increasingly complex science hypey world because you know in my next book in my next book i talk about how you know science is everywhere now it's everywhere now but it's increasingly twisted and and manufactured and 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 misrepresented in a way to you know support an agenda and perhaps to sell products to to build a brand so that that increasingly has also become part of my mission right so arguably it's not science that's everywhere it's the appearance of science right the facade of science this the illusion of science is actually i love that because that's exactly in my next book what you know i want to highlight um, you know, I joke how, um, you know, the Enlightenment is one right? in in the sense. And what, what I mean by that, because it may not really, it really doesn't feel like the Enlightenment is one when you think of all the irrational, irrationality around us. But what I mean by that is the use of scientific language, you know, the, just, as a justification has, you know, no one's saying my product actually has less science. <laughs> no one says that, right? No one says, you know, homeopathy. A completely science-free product. Uh, no one says <laughs> this. This diet, I didn't use any science to come up with this diet. This is, you know, <laughs> it's always justified now. Increasingly, I think using scientific language, right? And I call it science exploitation, right? You know, you use sciency language to get across these ideas, and and I, I think that that is a really interesting time because at parallel to that, running parallel to that reality is this world of misinformation that we live in all of these health products that are completely disconnected from what the evidence actually says so it is a very upside down twisty twir twirly world we live in now yeah and and it's affecting our well-being i mean we wake up in the morning so your new book relax goes through a whole day from like you wake up in the morning and what time you wake up to brushing your teeth and what kind of toothpaste you're using and all these decisions that we're told have science behind them and you really kind of pull it apart. It's fascinating, but it really shows up as like, whoa, we are making these decisions. It affects every element of our lives and it actually causes us so much stress. Like, I mean, just from like a food point of view, I mean, I find food to be full of joy and pleasure and relaxation and I really don't overthink it. Um, but I think many people, when they open up a restaurant menu, 
they are filled with stress. I mean, you're looking at some food on there. Oh, this has saturated fat. Oh, I shouldn't be eating that. I should, oh, this, where is this sourced? Is this, uh, I heard chicken's bad for you. I heard, you know, beans have this anti-nutrient. I mean, all of a sudden your head's about to explode and you can't eat anything on the menu. And that's not serving anybody. I, I couldn't agree more. And this is something I love about your work right, is is it does cut through that that noise. I, I, I mean, think about all of the things that we're supposed to do just around food, right? You know, you're supposed to get genetic testing. You're supposed to test your poop, you know, your microbiome. Uh, you're supposed to, the timing of your, of, of what you eat, you know, how much water are you supposed to drink? And then layer on top of that, you're supposed to, you know, monitor your sleep and you're supposed to uh, do all, you know, get all these other kinds of biometrics on how you're exercising. And it just complicates everything and we know we know in fact there's a study that came out very recently i'm going to say last week that talks about how you know too much information can lead us to making the wrong decision and you should really focus on those you know the big evidence-based truths and that uh, for food is so so important right if we just focused on you know more fruits and vegetables um you know try to eat healthy proteins um you know whole grain just focus on the big stuff we'd make so much difference. Okay. That's all we really need to say. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Honestly, focus on the big stuff, big picture. I think we get into this minutia, but I think also about this information overload. So I had an epiphany when my daughter was first born and I was doing sleep training, quote unquote, right? Like trying to figure out how to get this kid to please, for the love of God, give me more than four hours in a row of sleep. And I remember one of my um, dear friends gave me a book that said it was all about sleep training, how you have to let them cry. And then my sister gave me another book that was like, if they make the slightest peep, you have to pick them up and it's attachment parenting. And you, and they were both of these books said the exact opposite things. And I remember laying in bed crying, not kidding, crying from exhaustion and frustration. What do I do with this child in this room who's crying right now? And and all of these messages were going through my head. And my epiphany was that, oh my goodness, this is what people think about food. One person is telling them, no, you have to be a vegan to be healthy. Another person is saying, no, you have to be eat only meat to be healthy. And they're getting these recommendations from different places and it's coming at them on the internet. And they're just stuck in like par paralysis and stress where I was as a young parent. And I, I really, it was very enlightening moment of these like combating um, com information that like uh, contradicts itself essentially. Yeah. And, and there's interesting research and I, and I talk about it in, in the book that highlights that, that that kind of conflicting information. And it sounds like you kind of even experienced it. Here you are an incredibly educated, uh, you know, um, knowledgeable uh, individual, and even you experience this, right? So we should have empathy for individuals that, you know, are struggling with this. But the studies have shown that conflicting information um, can cause people to kind of shut down, right? Um, it can cause people to not listen to that evidence-informed advice, to that basic advice. They just basically start ignoring everything, right? Or, or they feel paralyzed with their their decision making. So this this does this does matter. Uh, and, and the other thing we need to remember is that the our information ecosystem is kind of you know rigged to throw information at us, right? If you are a a longevity expert, which is now the big, you know, big movement. <laughs> I go, you know, the no, new sciencey wellness woo movement. 
um, you know, that you you don't want to say, you know, exercise, don't smoke, um, you know, eat, eat, eat healthy diet, you know, try to get a good night's sleep, make friends. Yeah. Surround yourself with people you love and, and, and enjoy life. You don't want to say that, right. You want to say, get genetic tested, uh, you know, sleep in a hypergen, a hyperbaric chamber, um, you know, monitor your sleep, take cold showers and maybe even go to these cold shot, you know, cold swims. And you have to have all of this stuff in order to have some, you know, a brand to build, a story to tell. Um, and often all that stuff will have like a current, a little, little bit of science. It'll be like an animal study or something. And, and that's what they'll reference. And it's, so it seems legitimate. And, and your journey, your healthy journey just becomes this fantastically complicated um, burden, right? And, and by the way, the burden's on you. That's the other interesting thing, right? Is that if you're not doing these things, you know what, you're kind of failing. You know, so not only do you is your life complicated, you feel guilty all the time. <laughs> and by the way, really unfun. It sounds and really unfun. It really does. And but what's interesting about this failure aspect of it is then you're ashamed. So then you don't come up and say, and so you hear all these quote unquote success stories from these things, but you don't hear about for every maybe one of those probably paid people success stories. Uh you hear, you don't hear hundreds upon hundreds of people that quote unquote failed because it was on them to follow this plan and they couldn't do it because it was basically unreasonable and it's the plan's fault, but they think it's their fault. And I think this is part of it too, that we go on these diets, we go on these these programs, these regimens that promise so much. If we can do this, if we can rise to the occasion, and then we wind up feeling like failures and we sink back into the crevices because we don't want to admit that publicly. You're so right. And and there have been interesting studies that have shown, and this is complicated. It's hard. You know this well. It's, it's often hard to study this stuff with, you know, really robust methodologies, right? So you always have to have that caveat. But studies have shown that, um, you know, being obsessed with monitoring every aspect of your life does kind of sap the joy out of it, right? Um, you know, with exercise, there's been interesting studies, which I do reference uh, in the book that, that talk about how, you know, monitoring your exercise. So, you know, how much, how many steps you take, you know, the intensity can make exercise less fun. Um, yeah, I, I know I have people that love monitoring their exercise, and I think that they find it empowering. But but for some people, it does exactly. And I've actually, I'm, I'm obsessed with exercise. I'm lucky I enjoy it. But I've stripped off everything. Like I don't, I used to monitor everything and how far I went and how fast I was going. I've taken I, nothing right now. I just try to enjoy exercise. Um, but the studies do kind of back that up, right? That if you monitor everything, you kind of take the, the, the fun away from it and you do make it more like work and you do feel more guilty about it instead of just enjoying the moment enjoying the, the feeling of exercise maybe you're exercising with a friend or something it becomes it becomes a, a utilitarian exercise right i'm doing this because right and that's you know that's a shame and the health hype noise part of it, as we are getting into this idea of ignoring the health hype noise, like let's establish that there is this noise and that noise comes from being always told that you kind of have to monitor and being 
get somehow we get this in our heads. And I think, and not somehow, I mean, it's like pushed into our heads by all these people trying to sell these devices, basically. Um, But I think you really talk about something as, as we talk about this, all of this information that comes at us, that winds up ruining our lives, basically, um, is you talk about it as a knowledge paradox. So we have so much information and we're supposed to be better for that. We're supposed to knowledge is power, right? We're supposed to know more. And we're supposed to use that to our benefit and have a better life from it. And, and I do believe that is true, right? Ignorance is not definitely not power. But at some point, all of this, um, this information is getting distorted and, and skewed. And so this is what's creating this paradox. Um, and this is how you describe it as the knowledge era paradox. It really is, right? I mean, think about it. We, we have never had as much access to information as we have now, right? And, and not just, you know, newspapers, but, you know, people can get online and access abstracts for JAMA, the New England Journal of Medicine, for Lancet, instantaneously. They hear about a study in the news, they can go look at the study. Um, And I can remember, I'm older than you are, (laughs) I can remember... You used to have to walk to the library. I ha- I have to go. Oh, to I the- remember that. <laughs> I remember that. It would take a whole day to like get one study or two studies. I yeah, totally exactly. remember I, you that. Know, I kind of miss those days walking the stacks, you know, pulling oh, I, out those. I don't miss that actually at all. <laughs> and then having, you have to have them, they had to copy it for you. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Those days are gone. Now people can, you know, they can get the PDF uh, immediately. Right. And um, despite that, the trust in science is decreasing. Trust in healthcare providers is 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 decreasing. Um, people, we're starting to see this polarization around real, you know, areas where we would normally have, you know, both scientific consensus and public consensus. Um, and um, it, this is really a knowledge a knowledge paradox. And I think it's one of the great challenges of of our time. And, and I'm. Lately, I'm becoming very interested in this idea of scientific consensus because um, it's almost now being treated as if it is a bad thing, right? That um, 99, a colleague of mine just did a study in Canada around the safety and efficacy of the COVID vaccines and surveyed experts on it, you know, hundreds of experts and 99% said safe and effective. Um, A study from uh, recently from Europe found that 90% 90% of people um, misinterpret the degree of scientific consensus around vaccines. They think that the experts are kind of split on it, right? And that is because of our noisy information environment. Uh, there are a few extremely loud contrarians that make it seem like, you know, there's a split in the community around whether these are safe and effective. And the same thing happens with diet. Same thing happens with exercise. The same thing happens with things like unproven therapies, like say stem cell therapies. Um, There is this illusion that is created about what the science actually says versus what the peer reviewed scientific consensus is. And um, it, it creates mass confusion. And unfortunately, um, it is now starting to become almost institutionalized because you have politicians embracing this polarization around scientific issues, whether you're talking about climate change 
or vaccines or the data around gun control. You go on and on and on, right? Um, and yeah, it's it's a very scary time. So I obviously what we need to do is empower people to 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 see through that noise and to appreciate what the body of evidence actually says on on a given topic. And I think some people actually just automatically think they need to be a disruptor or they identify as disruptors. Oh, I'm not going to follow the consensus because the consensus is the sheep. I think yeah, there's this mentality. That, that's right. It, following the scientific consensus, you're, you know, you're sheeple. Um, it's in-group thinking. You know, on the contrary, you know, scientists always question the conventional wisdom, that's what scientists do. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the scientific consensus doesn't matter. Um, I wrote a piece recently where I joked about, you know, would you get on an, uh, you know, all knowledge is relative airline, or would you drive across a uh, a bridge that was based on, you know, an alternative idea of physics? You wouldn't, right? <laughs> In most areas, we accept that the scientific consensus matters. It's only around these polarized topics where all of a sudden the scientific consensus is a conspiracy. Um, and, and in fact, that almost goes without uh, without exception, right? If you think about the areas where we complain about the scientific consensus, they're all topics that have been po uh, politicized. And people often point to things like uh, plate tectonics and say, oh, people you know, used to laugh at that guy. But plate, the idea of plate tectonics, the idea that, you know, uh, continental drift, etc. That was presented in a scientific meeting and then backed up with science. Yeah, people were skeptical, but they didn't go on Joe Rogan and and rage about it or, or tweet about it. They they backed up their ideas with science and they didn't ignore the evidence. Uh, and that's what we see the contrarians doing today. They ignore what the science actually says and they don't produce evidence to pr uh, to back up what they're they're producing. They just say they're Gal they're like Galileo. Uh, everyone thinks I'm wrong, so I must be right. I'm a hero. I don't need evidence to support it. So that's interesting. So it's not about not thinking differently. Absolutely. Think differently. Think outside of it. Um, move beyond, accept, prove it. <laughs> Go ahead and use that impulse and that and that um, energy behind that to prove it, to actually prove it. And so there's the difference, really, just saying it versus proving it. And what's interesting also about what you're saying about people, you know, science, using science to sell something um, or sell an idea that uh, isn't really backed in science, but they will put links on their website. I, I do this a lot. I'll like, I'll look at a product and I'll click the link. What a concept. I'll click the link and look at the study because they'll name different studies. And then sometimes literally the study has nothing to do with what they're saying. Sometimes it's just like, oh, this is an animal study on like 10 rats that was done in 1981 and no further studies have been done or some, but sometimes it, it really has even nothing to do. So literally going into some of the solutions here because we've like presented this as a big problem which it is but now how do you know what to ignore and one of the things that i'm saying out loud as i'm saying it i'm thinking out loud as i say it is just click the link and check it out does it really even link to something that's relevant i mean it's a simple little thing but it matters it, it does matter you know and you know this lateral reading is that what they call that right you know when you 
when you look at something, uh, you know, investigate it, like dig into it before you kind of internalize what um, what what the post is saying. Um, and you're absolutely right about that. I call it, you know, those are tokens of legitimacy, right? So they'll they'll link to a paper that uh, maybe they'll have a scientific board associated with it. Uh, maybe they'll even have a clinical trial that's reg reg registered in clinicaltrials.gov, right? And it all makes it seem very legitimate. But that clinical trial, who knows if it's really happening? And maybe it's not even a clinical trial. Maybe they're just asking their customers what they thought of their product. Uh, the, the study, it might be a predatory journal. A study that they paid for. Um, it may be a study that has no relevance, as you as you noted. Um, that scientific board is it real? Who are these people? Uh, but most people in our chaotic information environment don't have the time or the inclination to do that. And I totally get it. The information environment is really chaotic. And the other bad news is, I I think that those tokens of legitimacy are becoming are. There are reasons why they're starting to look more legitimate. So people have vanity journals, like they're fake journals that they publish in, and it looks like a real study. So unless you can, you know, you can spend the time to really investigate the nature of that journal, how how do you know, right? How do you know whether it's real or not? You see anti-vaxxers do that a lot. You know, they'll have a vanity journal and they'll publish in it and it looks real, but it's not. And so I, I worry that it is going to get more challenging, even for people that have the inclination to dig into those tokens of legitimacy. Um, but we still got to do it. Yeah. So, okay. So we, we've established there's a lot of health hype noise. And then the mandate here is ignore the health hype noise. So <laughs> how, how do we, how do we do that? What do we do? What do people, I feel, you know, it can be so frustrating to feel like this is all happening and then to feel kind of powerless. So empower us, Tim, tell us what to do. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny, you know, we, we've known each other for a while and, you know, I, I'm a positive person. I like to be optimistic, but I'm, so I have, I'm starting to get a little more cynical. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Say so, it isn't so. I, I wonder if you agree with me on this. It, it, maybe it's not so cynical. Maybe it's kind of empowering. See if you agree with, uh, you know, I think people should start with the assumption that, the base basic health healthy lifestyle strategies are the core thing that you should do. So the basic things that we already talked about, right? Uh, exercise, sleep, surround yourself with people that you love. You know, try to get you know appropriate relaxation time. You know, uh, logical preventative strategies. You know, you wear a seatbelt, you get vaccinated. Beyond that. Be skeptical, right? If someone's offering you some kind of magical solution, even if it sounds sciencey, remain skeptical. Um, and I know that sounds like a cynical take because I'm a science geek. I love the science that it's emerge uh, that's emerging. I follow it very closely. Um, but it almost always is hype. It almost always is hype. Uh, I, so here's, I'm going to ask you this, if you don't, <laughs> I think if you did, you know, we have all these longevity books that are coming out and this opt these optimization books that are coming out. If you took 100,000 people and you had them, if we could do this, right, uh, had them live a healthy lifestyle, what we just described, right? You know, they're, they're walking, they're eating healthy, uh, they're not smoking, they're drinking in moderation or not at all, versus 100,000 people that are genetic testing, testing their poop, uh, you know, monitoring their sleep, um, all of those things that are time consuming and, and very unfun. 
I think there'd be no difference. And maybe, maybe even the other group lives longer and is happier. Yeah, I was about to say, I think the people doing all the testing are miserable. Yeah. I think they're very unhappy. I think part of it should be like a happiness equation. So not Absolutely. only looking not only looking at longevity and health outcome, but well-being, meaning how do you feel? Are you enjoying when you wake up in the morning, are you enjoying your day at all? <laughs> and I think that's huge. Like, isn't that part of it? Why isn't that part of it? That pleasure. It, 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 it should be part of it. And also you're doing all this testing, you know, now people are getting full body MRIs. Like they think that's a good thing. You could argue that that ha other half is going to fare worse because of iatrogenic injury, diagnostic cascade, overdiagnosis. Um, and that costs money and anxiety and on and on and on. Meanwhile, you and I are going out for a nice meal and having a little bit of, of wine with our dinner. <laughs> right. And maybe getting our yearly mammogram. Well, you you probably don't get a mammogram, Tim, but maybe doing those things. That the are logical well preventative strategies, right? Right. So not ignoring those things. But absolutely. I absolutely agree. So you're kind of saying, so ignoring the noise means basically, I love the idea of skepticism because you're saying, I'm a science person, I love science and change, but scientists are skeptical. It's one of the one of the requirements that we sort of deeply analyze everything from a skeptical point of view. And I think that's what makes that drives it forward, actually. Um, so so I think that's skepticism and and maybe not everyone has time to dig into everything. But even if you start with a little more skepticism about promises, even though you want to believe them, and I think that's part of it because it's like hitting everyone's buttons that you want to believe because it gives you hope. But the other thing here is fear that so much of the of the of the things we need to be skeptical about, are things that actually inspire fear in us. So we're afraid to eat blueberries because they might have some pesticide residue on them. And so, okay, rinse your blueberries and eat your blueberries and enjoy them. <laughs> so I feel like we're we're the fear aspect. It, it's it's hard to be skeptical when somebody's making you afraid. So I think I would like to introduce that idea to people that it's not only being skeptical of the hopeful promises but also being skeptical of the things that are inspiring fear that make you be afraid to go for a bike ride because you might fall off your bike. And but, I mean, yes, there's some risk in life, right? I'm going for a bike ride after this. So that's why I have it in my mind. <laughs> so am I. So am oh, I. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I'm going to wear a helmet and I'm going to ride safely and I'm going to abide by the lights in New York City and watch for people opening up their car doors and doing those logical things. But I'm also going to go for a bike ride and not let it let all the scare, the scary stuff um, prohibit me from doing that. There's been, I think, a really interesting and growing body of evidence that supports everything that you just said. Right. You know, that that fear mongering, unfortunately, works. Right. It, it, it increases uptake of, of content that it plays to, you know, the negativity bias is a universal and studies have shown this universal tendency that humans have and it, which makes sense, right? You know, uh, remember the scary stuff, you know, tigers hang out over there, don't eat that berry. Uh, but now the negativity bias is, is backfiring. There's a really interesting study that came out, uh, I'm going to say a half a year ago, that mapped um, headlines, and how headlines are getting more negative, more scary, more, you know, about um, 
moral issues and and joyful headlines are decreasing, right? So we're getting more scary headlines, you know, fewer joyful headlines. And another study that came out again, again, very, very recently highlighted the degree to which that negativity bias was used to push misinformation during COVID, right? So there's just a whole bunch of evidence to back up what what you've what you've said. Uh, I, I had you know I often ask some some of my colleagues in the misinformation space you know what what is one of their recommendations, and they often say if it plays to your emotions, that should be a reminder to pause, right? So um, and, and like for example, if if it feels like your team just got a touchdown. That shouldn't be a, a, a justification for retweeting or you know putting it on Facebook. That should actually be a justification for I'm going to look into this a little bit more. If it scares you and you know oh I always knew I should be scared, that should be a justification for investigating further. And um, I've fallen for that. You know I, there's times when I've seen things. Oh this is a touchdown for my team, and I've haven't been as critical as I should have been. So we can all fall for that. Uh, so I, I think that what you just said is a really important reminder. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. If it if it plays on your emotions, just pause and think. Take a couple of beats. And that whole notion of taking a couple of beats, I mean, that's another quote from your book toward the end. Um, it said, asking people to think if a headline might be true or false, just to think about it can reduce shares of misinformation. So just taking a beat. I think we we tend to be like trigger happy with our thumbs on our phone, right? Um, so before you share something, before you perpetuate misinformation, which you may be doing uh, unwittingly, just take a minute to think about what the ramifications of that are if you really want to share that. Maybe actually read the article, maybe actually dig click on the links and see if they're true. Um, and I, I think that right there can really help. But I think it's really interesting that with social media, I find absolutely fear um, and outrage, fear and outrage seem to really get the most clicks. And it's frustrating for someone who's putting out a nice recipe and wants everyone to feel good <laughs> because I, it's that fear and outrage that is is passed on and that everyone's worked up about and that gets the most attention. And um, and that's frustrating as a creator kind of thing, but I'm not certainly going to give into it, but I can see why people do because it's very tempting. It is a challenge, right? Because um, you don't, you want to counter the misinformation. You want to create content that, that gets traction. And I don't, just mean people like you and me. I mean, you know, institutions, right? And um, whether you're the World Health Organization, whether you're, you know, the CDC or the FDA, um, you want to create content that is going to get engagement. So, do you kind of fight fire with fire, <laughs> or do you try to be creative and, and come up with other ways to get that engagement? And and um, you know, this is something you know, I, I like you. I'm in in the media a lot, and, and it's something I struggle with. Right. You know, the degree to which you should be snarky, the degree to which you should be glib about a celebrity in order to make a science informed point. It is a real challenge. Uh, but given given how noisy the information environment is right now, you know, I think that we do need to think of ways to make that content 
um, digestible. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I think this is a, a justification for partnering with artists, with comedians, with, you know, great writers, with great graphic artists. You know, I, I think increasingly the science and clinical community needs needs to do that, create these wonderful partnerships to to create content. And by the way, we are trying to do this. I, this was, I didn't mean to lead into this, but we have an initiative called hashtag science up first that I started with Senator uh, Stan Kutcher. Uh, and I don't feel bad plugging it because now I'm just an advisor on it. It's run by, you know, young, <laughs> diverse brains. Uh, and they're just doing an amazing job trying to do exactly what I just described, you know, be positive content that counters misinformation on a whole host of, of topics. And we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, uh, we're on TikTok, we're on X, we're on threads, blah, 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 blah. All the, wait, say it again. It's, I want to follow it. This is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't hesitate to promote this kind of thing. It's called hashtag science up first, science up first. And, and, and we started with, you know, COVID misinformation, but we've, you know, we're, we're starting to tackle a whole bunch of things, including science literacy. So we're trying to talk about, you know, how science is done. And, um, and also we're tackling things like cognitive biases and, and also hot topics like um, LGBTQ plus uh, misinformation and climate change misinformation. And we really try to land on the stuff that is obviously misinformation. There are, you know, controversies out there about legitimate scientific controversies. We're really trying to focus on on, as we said earlier, on the big stuff, on the big obvious stuff. Yeah, this is amazing. Thank you for sharing that and that good work. I'm definitely going to be checking out that hashtag for sure, because we need more of that. And we need to really get behind it and give it some eyeballs because that's what's going to perpetuate it as well and be like these good voices in this, you know, to get us out of the noise and into just some really solid information. And so I, I don't know if there... Uh, I want to give you a chance to add anything else you want to add, but I do want to wrap up also with just a little summary of some of the things that we've been talking about uh, so far about how to ignore the health hype noise. So we've talked about embrace a big picture look at healthy lifestyle strategies, at basic stuff that you know really works. And it's frankly much of the stuff that I've covered on this podcast. So it's about not stressing about it, but eating basically balanced mix of foods, a lot of produce, a lot of plant foods, but not stressing about any one particular thing, having a more wide angle view. Um, being active in your life. I have so many, there's so many ways to do that without having to necessarily go like grind at the gym or whatever. Um, there's so many, so many wonderful ways to be active. Um, create community in your life, those types of health strategies, they really, really work. It might sound like, oh, how could that possibly work? Nothing works better, really, that we know of. So so, so keep that in mind. Remain skeptical. I think that's another really great one, particularly if something is tugging at your emotional strings. Be even more skeptical, as you say. I love that one. Um, if it plays to your emotions, pause. Um, and then... Um, really value the consensus. The consensus is more valuable than you might realize and often is quieter than the uh, than those speaking outside the consensus. So so pay pay mind to that and I think that will help you ignore the health hype noise and 
and relax, as you say in your book, to relax and kind of live a healthier, stress-free life, more stress-free life. I love that list, man. <laughs> that was perfect. That was perfect. And I guess I would add this idea of embracing a culture of accuracy. Um, I, I, my colleagues, Gordon Pennycook and, and David Rand at, at MIT, Gordon's at, at Cornell now. You know, they really talk about that. Um, just, I, I really think we need to build this culture that values truth and values accuracy we seem to be on this slide towards um you know there's no there is no truth anymore uh, i call it the postmodern dark age <laughs> but um I, I i think that that is a wonderful kind of positive message too and, and it and it feeds on that idea of pausing you know just pausing for a moment and thinking about you know accuracy and truth and and what it means to you that's a beautiful message to end with. And thank you for that clarity and for all your good work. And I'm going to be following hashtag science up first and always following you. And um, and tell us your website wh where we can learn more about you. Uh, Caulfield Tim is all my tags at Caulfield Tim. And th that will lead you to, to my noise. <laughs> <laughs> we love your noise, Tim. Keep making noise. We need it. The world needs it. So Thanks thank you so for much. being here. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you've come away today with some real strategies for stressing less by ignoring the health hype noise. Join me next time for another one real good thing.